It's your kali. What's up? Warning. 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 You are about to listen to facts, stories, interviews, gossip, and much more fascinating things that will be so stunning, there's a possibility that your mind will blow. This show will start five, four, three, two, one. beautiful people you are listening to what's up live from studio b my name is mari mar and i am here with brian and jenny and today we're going to be talking about a very important topic immigration on may 1st 2006 the great battle the biggest march for immigration rights took place so in celebration we are going to speak about the issue that today is debated and has not been fixed in the united states we will have an interview with maria gonzalez an activist that has worked to improve the lives of undocumented immigrants we will also speak with Maria, a teacher from Kenwood Academy, and we will of course speak with Quinto Imperio. But before we dive in, let's learn a little bit about terms related to immigration that might not be so easy to understand. And remember, you are listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Studio B. If you have been living on the face of the earth, then you've probably heard this speech. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. Yeah, the bad hombre speech. Well, Mr. Orange has been speaking plenty about the issue of immigration. His rhetoric is rather aggressive, and immigration is a very complicated issue. There are many terms that are being thrown around and might be hard to understand. So I set myself the task to gather the most problematic or misunderstood terms and dissect them. Illegal. Illegal? Yes, illegal. This word is one of the most problematic. If you Google the definition of illegal, Google will fetch up that illegal means contrary or forbidden by law, especially criminal law. Illegal oftentimes is used to describe undocumented immigrants. This is problematic because you are implying that the existence of a human being is against the law, and no human being life is illegal. As said by Eli Weasel, no human being is illegal. That is a contradiction of terms. Human beings are beautiful or more beautiful. They can be fat or they can be skinny. They can be right, they can be wrong, but illegal? How can a human being be illegal? So instead of saying illegal, you can say immigrant, undocumented immigrant, or human, or maybe no label at all? Alien. Alien is a word that is used in legal documents to describe undocumented immigrants. The first instance of this would be the Alien Sedition Acts passed in 1798, signed by President Adams. This limited the rights that immigrants had, like voting, for example. Alien is problematic. I mean, I know about this world, Why are we still calling human beings aliens? Makes no sense. Wetback, mojado. 
This term is offensive. It is a derogatory term that is making reference to the Rio Grande, a river that exists in the United States-Mexico border. By calling an immigrant mojado or wetback, it is assuming that the individual crossed the river. Now, can someone tell me, by the way, how Trump is going to build the wall on the river? Just say! This term affects documented and undocumented Mexicanos in the United States. This term is absurd. It is like calling people Mayflowers. Oh yeah, were we forgetting that everyone that arrived to the United States crossed a body of water? Dreamer. We dream in math class and science class in our pillow, dream of cotton candy, of unicorns, fast cars. However, the term dreamer does not refer to those dreams. Instead, it is used by undocumented immigrants or undocumented students that arrived to the United States when they were children. This term roots from a bill proposal called the DREAM Act, which stands for Development, Relief, and Education for Alien Minors. The DREAM Act would have benefited bright undocumented students and would have some path to citizenship. This bill did not pass, and the individuals that would have benefited from the DREAM Act began calling themselves DREAMers. Today, the term is associated with bright undocumented students. DACA DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. DACA is an affirmative action, which means that President Obama did not need the Congress to pass this action. This action benefited many young undocumented immigrants as long as... No? Yeah, right. That's what I call atole con el dedo. Although that guy is wonderful and it provides people with simple privilege like driver's license and ability to work and go to school legally, the future is uncertain of all those benefits and it can be taken away tomorrow because it is an affirmative action. The orange Cheeto does not need the congressman to get rid of DACA. So I hope all those terms kind of help you understand a little bit better all this immigration talk that is going around over and over in social media, on the TV, on the radio, and now you have a better understanding. Good. So, Jenny, how do you identify? I identify myself as an undocumented immigrant. How about you, Brian? Yeah, I identify myself as an undocumented student, specifically. Yeah, I also identify myself as an undocumented student. I think that although dreamer was something that was spoken a lot or I once used that label, I think that today it can be a little problematic because it can create this like good immigrant, bad immigrant rhetoric. They always refer to dreamers as like really outstanding, bright students and the students that don't have the opportunity because it's so hard to go to college being undocumented are oftentimes criminalized. Yeah, I think so too. And most of the part is because they are confused and they think that because the dream act uh, labels students as dreamers some, that means that everyone has to be a dreamer some people like don't that. even know what the dream act is like i tell them about documented or and they like what is undocumented like there's people that are not informed as well so this i'm just like i'm like kind of shocked you know cause i'm like what do you mean you don't know what is a document student and uh 
when I try to explain it, it's like really hard for me at times because yeah yeah definitely and oftentimes even the term uh does not talk about our parents which i think if anything they should be the first dreamers right because they were kind of the ones that had this dream coming here to the united states so yeah i think it can be a little problematic and the good thing though is that there's now people that are really active and are kind of teaching us about these differences yeah well that that's one of the major things that's really good right now and that we have people who are actually like you know putting us out there and putting like what undocumented students are and showing us how to identify ourselves and how to be unafraid too and just speak it out and say you know i'm undocumented and i'm unafraid and i can say it out loud to anyone you know so that's that's pretty nice that we have people like this yeah, that's has helped me a lot because the I met like some people that helped me um not be afraid because at first I was like I will be like scared of going outside and then uh just to talk to people because I did not speak English at that time and I was just like afraid of like they'll notice I don't speak English they'll snitch on me or something and thanks to these people I learned that I should not be afraid. Just, uh, just go out without having this fear anymore because nothing's going to happen unless you're getting in trouble, obviously. But uh, I really... This the exactly... This is the old generation. The first dreamers, like you said, they're... Um, it's like... It's an example of how everything started and the, the how you got to look at things first and then not realize, notice by yourself, like, you shouldn't be afraid anymore. No, We, we had to fight. Yeah, definitely. And I think fear itself is also not a sign of weakness. I think it's it's something that is very human and it's very valid to maybe feel those, a fear, different things, especially in our political climate. I think the important thing is understanding those fears and being able to overcome them or being able to have a support system that kind of helps you express those fears in a positive way. Yeah, I definitely think that's, that's what uh, keeps us going as dreamers, that we have... We're as undocumented students because we have, you know, that type of support system in our lives and we we could just say it out loud. Yeah, we, we all had the, our own struggles and we all learned how to deal with them. So that's how we step up, like you said. And there's, there's the, what gives us the motivation to fight for, for the rights, for what we wanted, for what we're expecting in the future. Yeah, so I think it's really awesome to also like learn a little bit more about these people that have fought. I know that Jenny and Brian, you guys were able to uh, to interview Maria Gonzalez. She's an activist. How was your experience interviewing her? What did you guys learn? Well, I learned a lot of things. Uh, I've talked to her before, but I know she <laughs> she talks a lot, and um, she told us like so many things how she started becoming an activist. For example, the. Uh, we're gonna guys play you a pre-recorded interview we did with her yesterday and she talked about uh, how she became an activist and what motivated her to fight oh she also talked about her struggles when she was a student and the struggles the the new generation meaning us are facing now and um she she's been fighting for a lot of years it's been a long time since she got her bachelor's but during that time she went through a lot and um, it's actually kind of motivating because at first, uh, you, like you'll be like, "What's the point of <laughs> not not studying if like you don't get the same 
rise as a normal citizen and that's why she realized that when she was a student that she didn't have the she thought she was not going to be able to go to school at first to finish school at first but she kept going and I don't know it was just like really impressive like she went through so much she took it it took her eight, eight years to get her bachelor's which is a pretty long time but um yeah let's listen to the first part of this interview you tell me your full name and what do you do so my name is maria gonzalez and what do i do i do a lot of things right now i'm actually organizing um again with organized communities against deportations how do you become an activist for example what gave you the strength to fight what does it take to be an activist back in 2009 around 2009 2008 2009 i'm not sure now uh, one of those years i was actually at harold washington college i was a, a student there um i had gone to her Washington thinking that I was the only undocumented student um, because in my high school my counselors actually told me that I couldn't go to college because I was undocumented and eventually I was even told that even if I did graduate from college after making my parents spend money uh, and wasting my time that I was still not going to be able to work. Um, so that was pretty much the college advice I received in college. Um, so eventually I I got a full-time job. And after a year, I was able to, to go to Harold Washington. And there I met a great professor, uh, Maria Teresa Fregoso. And she had an assignment for her final presentation. And I asked her if I could do it on the DREAM Act. And I don't know if you're all familiar with what the DREAM Act was, but it was pretty much a pathway to citizenship for certain undocumented youth. The thing that surprised me the most at the moment was her reaction and her being so happy and telling me, like, oh, are you undocumented? Because if you are, you need to meet this person and you need to go to this organization and you need there's a scholarship. So I think that... Meeting Marite was kind of like the the one thing that started getting me into this world because she showed me that there was actually a lot that I could do, unlike my previous counselors who told me I wasn't going to be able to go to college. So through that, I joined the Organization for Latin American Students at Harrow Washington, and there I met a person that was in deportation proceedings. He was a current student at Harold Washington. He was fighting his own deportation. He was walking around with an anchor bracelet, and pretty much he was in deportation proceedings due to a DUI. And through that case is that this group, the Immigrant Youth Justice League, was created to fight the deportation of, of him. And pretty much it was one of the first cases where people were fighting the deportation of someone that was considered a criminal. But to us, he was a human being that deserved to be in the United States. And we felt that one mistake 
should not um, determine the the rest of his life. So through that uh, involvement with Olas and meeting this person that was in deportation proceedings is how I started to get involved. Olas is the organization of Latin American students at Harold Washington College, and it's a student organization that I think every year, depending on the leadership, uh, their focus changes. So when I joined, there was a lot of activism, a lot of uh, voluntary opportunities with Casaslan, which was this awesome organization in Pilsen, but Casaslan is now gone. Afterwards, I became the president. I think I led it in a more activist direction where we started to do a lot for undocumented students. What were your struggles as an undocumented student? Going back to when I was a student, one of the main barriers was finding the money to to actually continue being in school because back then there was no uh, dream fund, there was no star scholarship, there were not that many people that knew how to help undocumented students. Um, so there was no guidance, no money, and there was a lot of like figuring out by ourselves. There was also no DACA. DACA is very new. Um, and I think having to be a full-time student many times to then be able to apply for scholarships, they require you to be full-time, but then they also require you to be involved. But then these scholarships are like so little money that you still might need to work full-time. Having to do all of these full-time things just to qualify for a scholarship was very hard. And many times um, I I just didn't apply for, for scholarships because it was just so much work. And I knew that there were so many students applying and just the amount of time it took to submit all of these applications and seeing that I only got like two for like a thousand dollars each and that was not covering my my tuition eventually I, just, I was just like I'm just gonna work because I I don't have time for this so I think it's just like trying to stay positive and trying to find the money having to work a lot and having to do a lot of schoolwork, being involved inside and outside of school. And then again, I think to, for many students, even today, it's hard having to take um, time off from school, especially with people telling you, oh, if you take a semester off, you're not going to come back. Hearing those people was also hard because I knew I wanted to, to stay in school, but I also knew I couldn't pay for school. So in total, it took me eight years to finish my bachelor's degree. And I think seeing many generations graduate every year was very hard and feeling like I was staying behind. But I would just tell myself, I just need to continue. I just need to continue and eventually I'll finish. Like even if it, even if I have to take like one class at a time. What do you think are the new struggles for this current generation of the undocumented students? What problems are they facing now? And what do we need to fight for? I think one of the biggest ones is the assumption that all undocumented students uh, qualify for DACA. A lot of like scholarships and programs I've seen 
um, are only catered to DACA recipients. I think that's a that's a big problem because then we are creating a subgroup within the undocumented, those that don't qualify for DACA, and we are forgetting that they also need resources, they also need support, and also like those students that don't qualify for like the STAR scholarship. I think that that's, that's an issue that has been going on for years, um, where we have the deserving versus the underserving. I think this is something that has been a product of the, the DREAM Act and the creation of the DREAMer narrative of like how Durving and like all these politicians trying to uh, pass a bill that will benefit us. They also created like the model undocumented student image that then makes everybody the deserving of citizenship only if they are the best of the best in their class, if they are like super students. But then it also creates a subclass of like those that are not able to to go to school, those that have to work so much to support their family and that they cannot do well in school. And then closing down the those doors to those students all because they cannot fulfill this dreamer narrative. Um, and I think that to this day, they're still creating harm. And that's why I'm always like so against being called a dreamer and the use of this word to describe undocumented youth. Why do people confuse the Dream Act with DACA? I think that because for many years we were fighting for the Dream Act and once something passed, People assumed it was the DREAM Act, but they did not realize it was something totally different, that it still did have to qualify for DACA. It's pretty much the same qualifications for, for the DREAM Act, a certain version of the DREAM Act, because the DREAM Act bill changed many times. Um, so yeah, the age requirement be having graduated from high school or being in the military, all of these things, they were pretty much the qualifications for, for the DREAM Act. People are confused and they think that um, the DACA is a sort of um, legal status and it's not. So there's a lot of misinformation. DACA is just a work permit and it pretty much protects you temporarily from deportation. But even that, it's in question right now. How can we get the new generation to keep the movements that have been done by the old generation? So I think the youth, every, every generation of youth has a lot of power because they are young. Um, I stopped being a youth some time ago, but... Sometimes many people still see me as a youth, um, especially, I don't know, because I look young, I don't know. I think they grab on to that in saying the youth are leading, but I think a lot of us, we are no longer youth, but we still carry that, um, I don't know, like, that we started when we were youth. Um, and I think the new generation is... To, to not be scared of losing DACA um, because 
I feel like many times that is the fear that if I do something, I might lose DACA. I might lose this protection right now. Um, and it's understandable for, for you to be afraid and realizing that even back in 2010, when people were saying undocumented, unafraid, that they're coming out of the shadows, many times there was fear. And then when you say your story publicly, you might feel fear, even though you're saying undocumented, unafraid. But it is the process that is making you become unafraid. All right, guys, welcome back. So that was an awesome clip about uh, the activism that Maria Gonzalez underwent. I think that one of the important topics that she spoke about was this idea of school. Going to school and being undocumented can be so hard. Yeah, I can relate to that a lot because, well, when I was in high school, I also was like, you know, what is going to be my next step into college and also like getting scholarships and so it's hard because there's just like limited sort of resources for us as undocumented students and it's you know it's just really hard to try and get as many scholarships as you can and we'll also have to check like which scholarships don't require DACA because at the time I was in high school I didn't have DACA so it was kind of hard since some scholarships that say, oh, you have to be DACA recipient. So it was really, it was really hard for me to, yeah, and to like, go through that. Not all the time we would rely on uh, scholarships because they don't, obviously don't cover a lot of what you actually need. So it was even harder for that because some, some uh, scholarships will give you just 500, others would give you like 200, sometimes 1,000, but it was still not enough. And then since you didn't qualify for all of them, it was just like such a struggle. But the thing is that compared to where Maria uh, and her times, there was no star scholarship. There was no uh, scholarship from documented students. So the good thing right now is that uh, we have the star scholarship. You, you're going to um, uh, colleges, community college, and this basically covers... Uh, I believe three years of uh, full tuition in, in community college and uh, this is uh, something we I actually thought it was really good because it doesn't matter if you're documented like as long as you had a 3.0 GPA and a 21 score in UCTA in English and math uh, no in English 21 and uh, I believe 17 Eight. or 18 Eight. in math you, you were good to go so it wasn't, it was actually not that hard to get. So, um, yeah, compared to where she was before, actually we have a little, use a little bit more resources. Yeah, definitely. Me being a star scholarship recipient, uh, it was one of the only ways that I was able to attend college. Like I remember coming back like after school and seeing all these award letters from like universities awarding me like presidential scholarships, but then realizing that even then it would not be enough. And then going to a sc the school that I went to and knowing that I would go to a community college instead of going away or going to a four year really brought down my morale. So I think that's also really, really important for these students to understand that it might take them long or their journey might be different but nonetheless it's a journey they should definitely take yeah I could relate to you it was like the same thing as you I'm a start recipient too and I you know just like 
knowing that you're not going to be able to go to a four-year university and have that experience that your friends are, and then you see them and they're like, oh my God, I'm having so much fun here and this and that. And it, it kind of makes you sad and be like, oh, you know, I wish I would have like gone to a four-year university, but you know, I couldn't. I had to take another path. But you know, it's just having that um, goal in your head and be like, you know, I'm going to graduate either way or I'm just going to do half of half of my uh, college years here and then and then transfer to a four year so it's like just having that set in your mind be like I'm gonna still go to a four year college yeah uh, I was I basically qualified for star scholarship but uh the city by city college uh they kind of messed up my file so at the end they ended up not giving it to me but uh, either way uh we all take most of, most of the people that go in there and city college, um, they're taking a path they're actually like doing two years city college, and then they will transfer to a four year university, which is like basically the easiest path. And um, it is pretty cheap actually going to city colleges; it's not that expensive, and it's it is a good start to to begin your career or anything you're studying for. And for me, um, yeah, it's actually helping a lot. It's, it's not that expensive actually. I thought it would be more expensive. I mean, it is costing money, but it's not as much as I thought it would be. But now I'm about to finish my first year, and then I got to do another year. And I got to start worrying about applying for other scholarships because, as we know, time passes really fast. And uh, going to a four-year university, it's, it's going to be tough. I got to start working a lot. Um, it's... Yeah, it is tough. <laughs> yeah, easy. definitely. And we have a story on tuition, actually. Um, so that story maybe help us a little bit more understand some some things. So let's go check it out. Most college students in the U.S. stress about college. But what do they stress about? They stress over the F word. No, not that F word, but the word finances. Finances in their schools. Tuition. Ugh, it's like the government's not trying to help. Why can't they help students like me? Because of my legal status in the US, I don't qualify for financial aid. I've also applied to many private scholarships, but it's hard for me to be awarded these scholarships because I'm competing against millions of students across the U.S. who also need financial support. I for sure don't want to take out a loan. I'll be in debt forever. College tuition is way too expensive. How am I going to finish school to support and pursue my passion and give back to my community? I mean, I'm a good citizen. I pay hella taxes. I have a 3.3 GPA. I have a clean record. And on top of all that, I create art for myself and the community. Am I loud and clear or am I breaking up? Businessinsider.com says that the debt that students face in America has reached $1 trillion. 
The average cost of a private university is more than $24,000. The medium income for students is about $28,000. One can barely pay off school. How is the average student supposed to survive? I, no, I mean we, we the students have expenses too. All right, and we are back. And remember, you are listening to What's Up Broadcasting uh, Live from Studio B, WLPN, LP, Chicago, 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio. Yes, and right now we're going to have an interview with a teacher from Kenwood Academy. So, um, hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, How would you describe your status in the United States? As limbo. I think is the best word to describe it. I'm a DACA recipient, so I'm still kind of in in between. How old were you when you arrived to the United States? I was about seven years old the first time when I came, and I've been here since then. Do you have any memory of that journey to the United States? Actually, I do. I remember everything. Um, it was with me and my brother and mom and my cousin that we came through... Um, the border, so we had to kind of cross the desert. Um, I always had like dreams about it, but I just figured that they were dreams until I asked my mom because um, she used to tell us not to look up because there were flies up in the air, they were gonna see us. But she was talking about the actual helicopters because they could see the from your eyes that they would glitter so they could actually catch you. Um, so I remember a lot of the things just crossing over. Wow. Um, and you came when you were just seven years old. How was your experience in grammar school trying to learn this language and this new culture? Um, it was hard. Um, they placed me actually back a year. Um, so I was in a class with first graders and I was really supposed to be in second grade. Um, I was in a bilingual class, so everything was spoken in Spanish. But everything that we were learning was everything I already knew. I already knew how to read, do math, multiplications, fractions, everything. Um, and then I was very, very dark as well when I had just arrived from Mexico. And I had long kind of like dark hair. And my mom would always do the pigtail, so I was always made fun of. So I always had to deal with that until fifth grade when I actually started learning English, when I was placed in an old English class. And it was hard. Very hard. Do you think that you were ever discriminated uh, because of your legal status by the school system? Um, It didn't hit me until I was really a sophomore in high school when I had to um, get the driver's license and do all of that that they asked for the social security that I realized that I really couldn't. Um, I did have a pretty good support system at school, though, Um, so they didn't make me feel bad. They were just like, you know what, you can still get your permit, you can do everything, and whenever you're able to get social security, then you get your driver's license. Awesome. Now, you work at a school now. You're an educator. As an educator, how do you kind of manage or how can you, what, how do you bring or help to these undocumented students that might be in your school or might not be in your school? 
So in my school, actually, it's primarily African-American. Uh, we have a very small population of Latinos. Um, what I try to do is really get them informed of what it is to be undocumented about the immigration system that we face right now because they're really unaware of it. But they don't realize that a lot of people there, especially from Africa that we have in our school, are also happen to be undocumented. So it brings a reality to them that they're thinking they live in this perfect bubble, but I'm able to really get them informed and they are able to realize what is really happening. So everything they hear in the news, they don't just take as one-sided. And I do have a very small group of kids that come to me, of students, that um, I'm really afraid for them because I know they don't qualify for DACA, and they're ending up, um, one's going to go to Harold Washington. Um, so I'm always trying to give them as much support as I can whenever they need help, especially translating speaking, since they don't know English that well at all. But I've been really trying to push them to really learn it and make sure they know their, um, their rights so they have an idea of how to navigate the real world. Now, many times we hear about like super achieving undocumented students, but we rarely talk about the obstacles that these students face going to college. What obstacles did you have to overcome going to college? Well, when I went to college is before DACA was available. So financially, I took the same route as some of you are taking right now, going to community college. Um, I just had to work a full-time job and my parents helped me. Uh, and go to school full time. So that was a big struggle, just trying to manage everything, working, um, a low paying job and going to school, keeping my grades up. And then I was actually able to get a couple of scholarships that helped to pay for my school. Did you ever hide your status for fear? I did. I did. I was never very open about it unless somebody asked, really. And if I felt comfortable with the person knowing that they wouldn't use it against me because I knew there's a lot of people that are just plain evil and they can use it against you. So I didn't want to take that risk. So I always kind of kept it. And honestly, let's be honest, nobody would ever know if you're undocumented or not unless you tell them because we all walk around like a regular old citizen of this country. Now, what would you what advice would you give undocumented students that might be losing hope because of all the political climate that the country is facing? That we need to keep on going because there's a lot of people they are still fighting for it. I know it's rough and it can bring your hopes down because I know it did to me. Um, but there's still hope. It's not the end of it and we have to keep on fighting because it's, we know that a lot of people are not going to take it. Um, so I just have to say that we have to keep on fight, fighting, just fighting. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, we're really happy to have you in today. and We're really happy uh, to know a little bit more of your story. Thank you. So remember, guys, you are listening to What's Up Radio, live from Studio B, Lumpin Radio. And remember, everyone's um, welcome to chat into Lumpin Radio's uh, website. You have any questions, you have any comments, just go to lumpering.com and then go into the chat, add your name, and ask any question, whatever you want to tell us. And now we're going to talk about uh, uh, coming out of the shadows. Um, we have a few audio pieces that we're going to uh, introduce you to you guys. Uh, Jennifer? Oh, yeah, we're going to 
uh, play a, a, a clip from Marianne uh, telling us what coming out of the shadow is so you guys could have a better understanding about it. Yeah, in 2010, there was this big march and, and afterwards there was this rally where each uh, person told their story. Um, and a lot of it also had to do with trying to make uh, the Dream Act happen. There was this big rally. They were on a stage and they each talked about their story and why they were coming out of the shadows and they all like pretty much coined the saying of undocumented, unafraid. And eventually other states started to do um, the coming out of the shadows. And pretty much it was like an act of defiance. So this was around 2010. And pretty much it started here in Chicago um, with EJU, Immigrant Justice League. This group of um, undocumented youth that pretty much um, around that time, there was also uh, a lot of uh, the national rhetoric of like undocumented people or like criminals. We don't know who they are. Like they could be terrorists. Um, and there was just like this, this xenophobia going around against undocumented people. And this group pretty much decided to, to take control of the narrative, to pretty much defy ICE in a way, and to show that we, we are like humans, that we deserve to be in this country, that we, that we will continue to fight to be in this country and to be treated with dignity and respect. It took me a long time to wake up. I'm undocumented, born in Kuwait, of Palestinian origins. My parents brought us here on a visa to escape poverty, but when our visa expired, so did our opportunities and rights as people, as humans. I spent years in denial, keeping my head down whenever I was told I don't belong here, that my parents are criminals, lawbreakers, take advantage of the system. I was ashamed. I lived with a constant cloud of fear hung over my head, and it took a long time to wake up. And I didn't wake when I realized that years of hard work will be going to waste. Like the time when I would stay up till past midnight as a child waiting for my dad to come home exhausted from a 12-hour shift to help me with my homework. Or when, I was, or when I was offered and then denied a job because of my status for the first time, for the second time. For the third time, it didn't hit because it's easier to live in denial, easier not get up in the morning, stay under the covers, hiding my tears and shame from the world, easier to pretend it's okay that someone else will fix it for me. No, I had to go all the way to Phoenix, where a group of undocumented youth slept outside in protest near a senator's office on a street corner in the open where anyone could have hurt them, and I couldn't understand it. It was mind-blowing. How could they put themselves at risk for detention and deportation like that? How could they risk being separated from their families, friends, and country? And how 
can I expect others to sacrifice for me while I sit and do nothing? And that's when I woke up and realized that I am human. I had to confront myself and my fears before I knew what I had to do. And I will no longer live like this. I will not allow anyone to be ashamed. There is no shame in tears. There is no shame in tears. No shame in dignity. No shame in pride. I, with my head raised high, can finally look at my parents in the eyes and tell them, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I stand today putting my whole life on display to tell you enough waiting, hesitating, and procrastinating. We need to wake up now. We are a country of proud immigrants, and we will not bow down to bigotry and hate. We are above it. I'm not scared, not sorry, not ashamed. A number will not define me because I have a name, and my name is Ella, and I am undocumented, unafraid, unapologetic. So hey guys, you just heard Wake Up by Allah. This was on March 10th, 2011 in front of the Federer Plaza. And this was the second year of coming out of the shadows. We wanted you guys to hear this because it was, it's really touching. And it's, it's, you know, just, we wanted you guys to feel like if you guys were there that day. And it's very important for you guys to, you know, just feel how undocumented student uh, comes out of the shadows and talks out to the public. And uh, we also have another small clip with Maria where she talks about the current situation within the undocumented community under this new administration that we have right now. And we also ask her if she thinks people are going back into the shadows and why. So let's go and listen to it. What is the current situation under this new administration for the youth to be aware and alert? Do you think that with the new president elected, people are going to start coming back into the shadows? That's a very tough question because a lot of people are going back into the shadows. Um, but I think that if everybody decides to hide, then Trump will have no opposition. And then that will mean that he will have more room to move forward his crazy ideas. So it is understandable that people are afraid, but... I think that we still need to continue saying that we are undocumented, unafraid, and even that might bring some degree of danger to some people. And it's still the, the individual's like uh, choice to become part of um, this movement or not. But like always, I think that being united and organized is the way to protect ourselves and our families. And this has been like the deportations have happened since Obama, since Bush, since Clinton. So deportations are not new. What is new is that this president now is being very open about what he's doing. And he, yeah, like it is a reality that he is intensifying um, the deportations or like the deportation machine that was handed over to him um, by Obama. But I think that we just need to continue being united and continue organizing because if we are can start to isolate ourselves, ICE might come and get us and no one will do nothing. Like no one will will know no one will move so if we are able to 
continue doing like the local uh, defense uh, networks. They're having like coming out in different parts of the city where we have like a Migra Watch teams where people are being trained on how to like identify ice in their neighborhood to start recording their actions um, telling people about their rights making sure people know how to execute their rights but then also not limiting ourselves to just that we cannot win by just knowing our rights we need to fight to continue having those rights <laughs> questions they want to do. all right guys and we are back so i think all of that was like a really inspiring and touching story i think that we all have these very touching stories ourselves as well yeah um well as she, as she said uh i, I kind of relate to coming out of the shadows because i used to be scared and, uh, and I met Maria and this other person, his name is Kinti, which we will have him later with Kinti Imperio, by the way. Um, thanks to them, I realized that I should just speak up and just fight for what I want, like, not to to keep going, con- continue my career and not be afraid anymore. Uh, they gave me so much inspiration. I didn't, I didn't know it was people like them. And because of them, I know more, even more people. And it's just like, they all have a connection, and uh, I don't know. Just, I feel like it's just like destiny that united me with these people because it's just incredible how, like, what I've done so far thanks to them. And yeah, I think I could relate to Brian because well, well, me too. Uh, Maria has been one of my main role models into like activism, and that's how she introduced me to you know just fighting for the community for like what we need to show the community and also educate it. And I think it's really important for us to know that we can't be afraid to say we're undocumented, and we can't be ashamed of it either. And and also not blaming like our parents or saying you know. Like, because a lot of people say, oh, it's all poor, like, kids. It's it's because their parents brought them here when they were just, like, small and they didn't have conscious of it. But it's not that. Like, you should, they shouldn't blame our parents because our parents brought us here for an education and a future. And, well, they were, like you said, like, they dreamed for a future and a, and a better life for us. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, oftentimes we forget of our parents' effort and there is this rhetoric kind of going around or this like idea going around that, oh, we should get these privileges because we don't have an option and our parents just kind of brought us here. But I think it's really wrong because I've, I've taken advantage of all the things that my parents gave me here in this country. So it'd be really hypocritical for me to blame them after that. Uh, personally, coming here to the States, my mom had to like undergo a lot of tough decisions. I was just two years old and there was a lot of health risks uh, for me to come here. I, I was a very uh, sick child and she did everything so that I could have a better future and better like uh, health care here in the United States. And lately or recently, I was able to go back to Mexico to kind of re-encounter my roots. And I thought it was like really eye-opening because then you kind of re- you realize that this identity, right? Here in the United States, undocumented, felt like I never belonged, right? Because I'm not a citizen. And then you go back to Mexico and 
they don't really have a lot of programs if you were to be deported. And the people there see you as Americana, right? They don't see you as Mexicana. They see you as this privileged person that speaks English and that is able to dress differently than them. So I think that it's really important for undocumented individuals to really understand this dichotomy that they're facing, neither being or neither being uh, accepted here in the United States and understanding or confronting this reality of the way people in Mexico view us as well. Yeah, I mean, I just really wish I could have gone back to Mexico like you. That, that, um, what you told me about it's just like something incredible. Uh, like people, this is what we wish for, you know? And um, just like going back to your roots, like you said, it's, I just can't, can't imagine going, going back to my roots again. And once again, thanks to um, Maria, I'm probably next year going back to Mexico again and visit my family. Because thanks to her, I I, I know I, I got to meet this really cool lawyer. Her name is Moni Ruiz. And um, she's basically, she's awesome. She She's well informed. She knows what she's doing. And uh, thanks to her, I recently I've been having an order deportation for almost seven years. And thanks to her, I just got rid of that like a month ago. And just right now, the things that I'm just we just um, working on my residentship. And after that, probably it's gonna take me a year. But my goal is once I get it, I'm gonna go back to Mexico and visit my family, and then come back here. That's awesome. That's it's really like great to hear that we have people like you know Maria and activism, or even um, Moni, Moni, the lawyer. Like it's awesome to hear that we have people that's like out there for us and that will help us and like could change our lives within like a month. Yeah, it's it's all it all it all started because of this old generation, and then the new genera- generations, it just keeps going, and then um, it, they we maintain this movement thanks thanks to them. Because if it wasn't for them, we don't know what would have been happening right now. It's just, it all started because of them. Definitely. Well, our guest speaker here, uh, teacher from Kenwood, she also went back to Mexico. How was that experience? Believe it or not, it was a very shocking experience. It took me a while. I thought I was, I mean, I had not been there since I was seven. I had very few memories of it. Um, it was a shock. Um, I didn't know how to feel because everything was so different. Um, even though I teach Spanish, um, my husband was making fun of me. I was like, I am lost. So I cannot imagine every time I hear on the news somebody saying that somebody got deported. Because it like it brought me to that thinking, if I felt like that, and I'm supposed to be good with both languages and bilingual, I can't imagine somebody doesn't know the language very well, has no family at all, because the cultural difference is completely. It's such a huge gap from what we are here, and we go there, and everything is. The house, the houses there, I mean, the way you take a shower, like we are so used to, we have so many good commodities here. And to be over there and realize it's not that way and the way that people actually live there, it brings you back to reality of why our parents made that sacrifice to bring us here. 
because they didn't want us to go through all of that. They wanted the best for us. So definitely a huge difference. I still haven't recovered yet from it completely. I'm still taking it all in. My husband was four, he's a U.S. citizen, so he had been there from when he was like 15. So for him, it wasn't too different. To him, it was this great, amazing thing to go for vacation. To me, it was not that. It was going back to the home that was our home for the time they were in Mexico that is like kind of falling apart a little bit here and there. But it was... It takes a, a while, so definitely. And I was fortunate to come back and be okay, but I can't even imagine what people go through if they're actually there being deported. Yeah, definitely. I was in Mexico for a month. It was a cultural shock going there and coming back. It was like a cultural shock seeing Mexico and then cultural shock seeing the United States after that experience. And I mean, Brian, I hope that when you go that... It ha- it's the best experience and definitely there's so many things to see uh, and we have a completely different point of view than a lot of people going like like uh, our guest speaker said right here going back just for vacation right just for enjoyment it's a different experience altogether yeah and actually Maria Gonzalez uh, she also went for for a different trip she had with other people t- it was actually 10 uh the um, people with uh, DACA recipients, and uh, they it took them like a year to fundraise all the money to make the trip, and they were taking that risk to going there and having able to coming back, and uh, but their main goal over there was not just it was not like just a vacation. They wanted to see how was everyday's life in Mexico, and they went to so many places. Uh, they went to this uh, only yep. men's shelter. Yeah, and uh, they talked to a lot of men who they were gonna come to the United States, but she said it was shocking because probably like in a week after a week they would talk to them, they might not be alive anymore, you know, because they were gonna come to the U.S. and it was shocking. It was it was really hard. Hard. She she took it really hard, and something just uh, she just said everything like so different and. I like like you say everything changed. Everything she looked it was so different than what she remembered when she came. And um she also went to a another shelter for for used girls. Mm-hmm. She she told us like her experience talking to them and knowing that you know when they cross the border, most of them are from uh Salvador, Honduras, so they have to cross two borders and they uh they have to take control uh, birth control pills because they know that they could have they could have a risk of it's, getting raped. So yeah, it's, it's that's it's really like sad to hear that and to know that you know these things are happening in like Mexico and even well United States too, but more in Mexico. That's yeah. like the most dangerous the, zone. They had to yeah the when they had to take both two borders. The Mexican one is the hardest one to cross because. You guys know how Mexico is right now, and there's not a there's not a lot of good people in there. And then it's almost for a fact that if a girl, or a, wom- a woman is gonna cross the border, Mexican border, it's, it's for almost for a fact they're gonna be getting raped. So they take birth control pills, or they take the vaccine. Just 
Yeah, definitely. I think that it is very important to remember, right, that when speaking about immigration issues here in the United States, to not forget the way that Mexico also treats undocumented mm-hmm. uh, people from Latin America. All right, guys, great talk. We're going to go into our state. You guys are going to hear our station ID and we're going to be back. Uh, we're going to continue talking about these powerful stories. So stay tuned. Hey guys, remember we are listening to What's Up here in Lumpen Radio broadcasting live from Studio B in Bridgeport. So in the past hour, we spoke about uh, these different stories about going to school and being undocumented, the struggles of paying tuition, a little bit of our personal stories and this culture shock of going back to Mexico. Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit more. Yeah, uh, we're now we're going to present you guys the second uh, half of the interview with Maria Gonzalez. And uh, once again, she's an old-generation document activist. And in the second part of the interview, we're going to ask her how she... How can we get the new generation to keep the movements that have been done by the old generation? She also talked about how mental health can... Can it has affected the undocumented community and how the unapologetic and unafraid term started, which is uh, thanks to them. It's it was it was it was something funny. And to conclude, she told us one of her biggest accomplishments when she was a student and one of her recent accomplishments fini- uh, to finish the interview. And he also she wanted to give a message for the youth after that. So let's go check it out right now. What can we learn from previous mass movements? How can we get the new generation to keep the movements that have been done by the old generation? Um, I think that it's just a matter of wanting to do something. Um, And you do not need to follow the same things that we were doing. If you all decide that this needs to be taken into a new direction, then you all need to take it into that direction. Um... And I think that it's the matter of coming together as youth and deciding how is it that we can that we can contribute, what can we contribute? Do we agree with what has been done? Um, is it time to come up with something new and to push that forward? I think that even within the undocumented youth movement, a lot of it was learned from the LGBTQ community and a lot of the leaders are from that community. So we have learned from the LGBTQ community and continue to be led by that community within the undocumented youth or immigrant community. So I think, yeah, there is like a lot that can be learned, but there is also the need for, for new ideas, for new leaders, for new organizers to come out and to even tell us, you're doing that wrong, we need to do this, or we need to do something new. So once again, to become unafraid, if, if you all think that something needs to be changed, make it happen. Talking about mental health on immigrants, for example, fear, how do we cope? I think mental health has been an issue for the undocumented community for a long time. Like It's also not new. Um, but it has been intensified by this new administration. So I think that, like always, is I know that for myself, what helped me was becoming part of this movement and knowing that there are other people that are going through the same things as I am and pretty much being part of, like, back in the days, EGIL, 
and attending like the shouted out events where undocumented youth will have kind of their own support group because at the end of the day that's what it was where we would talk about like what is like, what is happening and we will start identifying that oh my god I'm going through the same thing and we will start finding out that we are not alone um, so I think that within our own communities we can create safe spaces for ourselves and where we can talk about these issues but to me I guess I might be biased but To me, the answer has always been joining the movement um, and finding out that there are other people that are going through these issues as well as I am and finding that support network. So I think uh, having a support network is always essential when we are dealing with mental health issues and trying to reach out for, for support. There are resources out there and there are open to people like low-income uh, community members, but there is a wait list. Um, so there is also the, the lack of resources to maintain these resources. But I think that like always being united and organized, we find some sort of support through that. Is it possible to be unapologetic and unafraid in the Trump's era? Is there hope? Well, yeah, like the unapologetic part came like the year after the unafraid part. So like the first year it was undocumented unafraid. And then the next year we decided to add unapologetic saying that I will not apologize because I am undocumented. And saying like I'm not apologizing because my parents had to, to bring me here because they didn't have the resources at home. So also like don't blame my parents because I'm here. Because, you know, like with the dream narrative, there's always like, oh, like poor dreamers, they were brought in by their parents. But then that means, okay, the criminal is the parent, right? Mm -hmm. So then the unapologetic part came out like, no, my parents are not at fault either. Can you tell us one of your accomplishments as a youth and one of your recent accomplishments? I'm not going to tell you any accomplishments because then you're going to say I'm a dreamer. <laughs> Um, yeah, and sometimes I do that, like, I don't talk about accomplishments. Um, but accomplishments, I think when I was at Harold Washington, um, we created the U.S. Leadership Scholarship for undocumented students. And through the creation of that scholarship, we brought on, like, a lot of members to the organization that wanted to do something uh, to support undocumented students, but they didn't know what. So it brought like a whole community together at Harold Washington, where I think it was just breaking one barrier after the other. Um, because to fundraise for that scholarship, we ended up uh, putting together also the first drag show at Harold Washington College during Latino Heritage Month, which was like a big controversial thing. Like, what, what do you mean you have gay people in the Latino community? What? And then it's to fundraise for a scholarship for undocumented students. Like, what do all these things have to do together? And yeah, like that was another accomplishment that we challenged the administration at Harold Washington successfully. And that gained like with the support of like a lot of students. And then eventually, I think another achievement was being able to transfer to IIT, the Illinois Institute of Technology. And right there, also, 
challenging once again the administration through the creation of undocumented students and allies, a student organization that was there to support undocumented students, and eventually pushing IIT to recognize that they do have undocumented students and that these students need services that and they needed support from the university that was not being given at the time because they denied our existence on campus. So if we don't exist, then that means they don't need to do anything for us. So this happened through coming out of the shadows that we had at IIT and a rally that happened. And I think throughout the years, USA, Undocumented Students and Allies, is still alive. But their activism has um, has shaken up the university so much that now the university made it against their policies to have any sort of demonstration on campus. And this is because it's, it's kind of like a they're afraid of activism through undocumented students and allies or any other organization that might want to follow their steps. And I think the my latest accomplishment has been able to create a group of um, DACA recipients that did not fit the perfect student narrative and creating this group called Proyecto Mis Raices where DACA recipients who are no longer college students who dropped out of college who are college students and without like caring about their GPAs or whether they're able to write well we created this um, program with the support of this organization in in Mexico, CAM, Centro de Apoyo y Atención a los Migrantes. And we were able to tr- create this program for this group to travel to Mexico with advanced parole. And a lot of the, some of the participants had been arrested in the past um, because they participated in civil disobedience. So there was a high risk. This was like a high risk group. And we were ready to pretty much create a campaign if anyone was not let back into the country. And I think that was my like latest achievement because we learned a lot about the activism and organizing that is happening in Mexico as well. One more thing. What would you like to add or tell to the youth? I think I want to tell the youth that we are going to look up to you and that you have a responsibility now. Yeah, we're getting old. <laughs> and you have it in you to to create change. And do not allow anyone to tell you that you cannot do it. And we're back. Uh, you just heard uh, on the, interview, the second part of the interview with Maria Gonzalez. And in this interview, she talked about uh, how can the new generation of youth follow up with the movements that the old generation has uh, has done before. And she said that we don't necessarily have to follow them. Like, we can always start our own movements as well. And we can also just uh, work as a community. And um, it's it's just not just following someone. It's just, like, fighting for yourself. Uh, She also talked about uh, some of the accomplishments she's done before. And one of the latest accomplishments, once again, was the trip she had when she went to Mexico uh, to see the everyday life of uh, of Mexico. Uh, it was really, she told us more about it. It was really cool. And she told us that um, uh, all of the all of the people that went took a different path and went to to where their families were located at. So everyone went to see their families, which is really pretty cool. Yeah, 
Yeah, and she also mentioned how she went to, like, she went differently. She went to every, like, state of Mexico. Not everyone, every state, but she went, like, to to many states from yeah, Mexico. Be, besides going straight to mm-hmm. her to her hometown, she visited other states. She she took another another way just to get there. And, oh, and one, she wanted, something she wanted to tell you that we're going to go up to look to you and make you fight for for what you need to fight as well. She doesn't want anyone to just remain silent and not do anything. I think it's pretty important for us as youth to, like, know that we have to, like, not necessarily follow the, their steps, but follow the movement that they've done and just, like, fight for what we want and for what we think it's it's right for undocumented youth and for our families, too. So I think that... It's time for the youth to, like, wake up and just get involved into this movement and get to know what activism is for your families, for yourself, and just, you know, be be active and and do do what it's right for the community and for yourself, too. Yeah, and, well, remember, you guys, you're listening to WLPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM Lopin Radio. And, uh, well, the time we have been waiting for has come. We all have right here um, the Quinto Imperio, and just a brief explanation of who Quinto Imperio was. Quinto Imperio is Chicago-based Colombian fusion who, who tells the necessary stories of hope and resistance in their new album, Cronica Migrante. Quinto Imperio uses a blend of vivid Latin rhythms, uh, culture, duality, and storytelling to provide a message or resilience during especially anxious times. As recipes of that kind of relief, many members of the band get personal and chronic immigrants, expressing through all their songs, uh, their own experiences as immigrants. Despite the challenges uh, immigrant youth in Chicago face, these band members are in the process of, or have earned a college degree with creating a scholarship fund for the documented students in the, in the neighborhood. And well, right here with us, we have Kinder Perio, finally. Uh, well, first of all, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Sure. Thanks so much for inviting us. Um, my name is Eddie Dominguez. Hi, my name is Quintiliano Rios. Who else is on the way in the back? <laughs> and my name is uh, Hugo Dominguez. And, and way back in the room, we have uh, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Contreras in the Congas, but he's really far away in the room. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's get right into the, um, to the interview. So, as a documented youth, it seems to be like a pattern of this work around the community, like your personal lives and your work and your music. Why, why is there a pattern between all this? I got a little bit confused with, with the question. Can you rephrase it, please? Like, in, in, uh, within the documented youth and the communities, there, has to be, there seems to be a pattern in all the work around uh-huh. your personal lives and your music. But why? Why is there a pattern? Um... I I think it's just uh, it is is the way we live. So there is not. I don't think there is a lot of science behind it. It's just the the way you live and your experiences. Like sometimes um, you're pulled to certain things, uh, not necessarily because you want to be there, but because uh, there is need or because um, that's the experience that you're living. Uh, for me, it's kind of. 
uh, very simple. L let me tell you, like Quinto Imperio, before we used to just um, try to write songs about, like, let's say commercial songs, love, and that's mostly what you hear, right, in the radio. Yes. <clears throat> and But then we started realizing that our lives were a lot more than what you hear in mainstream media and the experience of our people and the experience in the community um, or our own experiences. So the need to, to express that, that's why it reflects, you know, um, the undocumented life because that's what we go through. Can you tell us a little bit more about how the band was created and who came up with the name to? <laughs> okay, so the band is... It was created only with uh, my brother Hugo, he's in the bass, and um, my brother Freddy, he plays the drums. This is when they were um, 11 and uh, 14 or 15, and so it's a, it's a long time ago. <laughs> so we were trying to find something uh, for us to do because we're from from the back of the arts community, and it it's what you hear in the in the media. It's it's real. It's a tough community, but a lot of beautiful happens in there. And I don't want to sound um, like a show off, but I think Quinto Imperio is one example of, of that beauty. You know, youth just coming up with, with solutions, with ways to express themselves. And so Quinto Imperio is just like a very tiny example of that. So back then we created this band so that my brothers would stay busy and off the streets, you know, not really off the streets. Um, we, we hear that very often, um, you know, just occupied with something positive, you know, they could be in the street meeting everybody in the neighborhood, not, you know, discriminating between, you know, one person or, or another, but realizing that there's something better for them to do. So that's mm -hmm. the reason why we, we started the band. He also forgot to mention that we started it because uh, we actually love music. Uh, ever since we were little, we wanted to have a music band because we had our family members, uh, who our uncles, who had their own music bands, and we actually would hear them practice. So that kind of like inspired us to have something. And eventually, coming over here to the U.S., uh, uh, I guess we were able to do that. And that's actually uh, how the name of the band came about. Uh, so the Dominguez family, the brothers, they always had a, a, a music band uh, in every generation. So this was the fifth generation, so therefore the quinto, uh, the fifth generation that had a music band. Actually, a couple of years ago, there there was another uh, gen another band from the same family uh, in California. So we were joking around that they were like the Sexto Imperio. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Quinto Imperio. And then uh, Imperio because of... Uh, the Dominguez is that, uh, Mr. Dominguez. His name is Marciano, right? He actually, his name is Marciano. It's not like a nickname. Oh. Um, so we imagine, Eddie imagine a little bit of like, oh, uh, an empire of little uh, Marcianitos, because that's how they used to call them when they would, they would go to the to the pueblo to visit the family. I've been in Los Marcianitos, right? The, Marci the Martians are coming. You know, um, in, the, in the little towns, people really know each other. So no, they know my dad when we went back to the to the um, to to visit in El Pueblito, people would realize it was my dad and his kids. So they would be they they would just announce to everybody else, you know, los marcianitos are coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So um, 
during the past hour we have been talking about immigration and youth and at what age do you guys started your lives as an activist and musician and how do you guys fusion that both fusion those both worlds um for well for me it took some time um i remember when i was back in high school i attended holy trinity high school here in chicago and just I, I think I wasn't thinking so much about being undocumented until it was time for me to go to college. And um, and I was told that there was no opportunities for me because I didn't have a social security number. Uh, and also, I was told uh, by some other people, you know, never discuss your undocumented status with anybody. Back then, it was like this. Um, uh, I graduated in two, 2003 uh, from, from high school. And when I went into college... I I was really, you know, hesitant to talk to anybody about my, about my status. So I wasn't really involved in the community regarding that issue. Uh, but it was until 2010 when I was invited for to an organizing meeting. It was a huge meeting. I think it was it took place in UIC. And I got really pumped up. I saw a lot of people um, from all ages, all uh, backgrounds. And... 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 I got I got I got just really excited to know that there was a lot of people um, working and fighting um, and struggling together. So that's when I, I I guess I got the message that I also needed to get involved. And actually, it was Kinti uh, Adriana who wasn't able to be here with us today, uh, and I who went who went to that meeting and came back to the neighborhood and said, "Hey guys, um, so we have to organize a trip to Washington D.C. and we need some help." So we started like setting up things over there. And you said if we had uh, actually like fused those both of those worlds, and I think that that's around the time that we started like kind of thinking, how can we do that? You know, how can we talk about our experiences as undocumented uh, youth, as, undo as undocumented people? You know, telling the stories of us and of our parents. Um, that's when we began to write songs ab uh, about about the issue. And that's about how that's how the song "Chronic Immigrante" came about, actually. And at, when he got involved, me being his brother, seeing him, you know, getting involved, I, I kind of got inspired and I started getting involved as well through him in the same organization. Uh, I think both of them are really modest um, because the, the type of organizing that they took on was really hardcore. It was really grassroots. And uh, one of the t trips we went to Washington, D.C. for a second time, uh, it was for an action for civil disobedience. So you can find pictures of a couple of them being arrested and dragged out of the Senate building because they were trying to, at the time, we were trying to pass the DREAM Act. That was the closest thing that we had to immigration from. And also, again, Hugo is really modest too, but he was one of the people that started the Dreamers and Alex Run Scholarship in the back of the year's neighborhood. Uh, he had the idea of running with a T-shirt that said, I support undocumented students. And then he came out with like, well, why do we make this a fundraiser, right? So now every year we have about six, seven runners that run the Chicago Marathon. They get sponsored um, per mile. And then the money that they raise goes towards the scholarship. So 
marathon runners, activists, you name it. And as far as myself, I became involved with them again in 2010. And uh, But since high school, I've been just wondering what it is like to be undocumented. What can I do about it? I was really lucky to be really privileged to receive a, a scholarship to continue my education and graduate with a, from a four-year university. So definitely that's when we started writing about uh, the music is reflecting our experiences and those were our experiences. How powerful is the mu is music for the youth and for every every age? Oh, it's it's powerful in in a way that I don't even think we fully understand it ourselves. The reason is that when you talk about being undocumented, when when you talk about your immigrant status, it's a really depressing topic. Really, like. There's a lot of tears. There's a lot of emotions that having in part they had just been hidden for the past decades or the time that you've been here in the U.S. Um, but when we, when we talk about it through music, I feel like it's a little bit of a therapy because the lyrics that we talk about is it's are some things that people have been feeling that they have not been able to articulate. So we have a song called Nostalgia in the album Cronica Emigrante, uh, which you can find in QIMusica.com. Uh, and this song talks about the feeling. Sometimes as undocumented, we, we feel like I miss my family. I miss, I miss my grandma. I don't know if I'm going to see my grandma ever again. And this song talks about that. Like, I want to go back to the neighborhood where, you know, the people are so loving, uh, where people really care about me, where there was a sense of family. Um, so that's nostalgia. And then we talk about, about it in other songs like Once Upon a Dream, which follows the story of Jessica, who actually, this is a real life story. She's actually actually doing a PhD over at, at Michigan, and uh, and this is a girl from Pilsen who never gave up, right? Um, so definitely, that's I, I feel like our music at a time could be therapeutic because it is for us. So I imagine that that it is for the audience that, that we cater to. And I think I I think that I have actually been able to to witness every time we have ever since the first time that we presented that song somewhere. Um, I don't remember exactly where, but at the moment when we start, you know, our song, um, I and we invite them to, to chant with us in the beginning of the song. I feel like um, some type of energy comes about and, you know, catches all of us. And then all of a sudden, all of us are together, even some allies. It's like. Even if you're not undocumented at that moment, you're undocumented with us. And and so if you haven't thought about what you could do, or if you hadn't thought that you, if you felt weak for a minute, at least you feel stronger. At least that's some of the stuff that I've noticed when, when we perform the music. And and some comments that I have from people that approach us and say, hey, thank you so much for, for your music. I, I really love it. And it, it had made, it, it actually make, made me feel a little better. So to the question of how powerful it is, I think, you know, it's a little bit of medicine uh, for everybody. Right. And uh, can you guys tell us a little bit more about your album, Cronica Migrante? Is it like the, your guys' first actual CD? And how do you, like, choose the songs? Okay, um, so this is our first album. <clears throat> and it has been the, the road towards producing it has been so so tough you can't even imagine um talking about chronic immigrant the the song that, that the main song in the in the city i we actually wrote it in 2009 um and that's because we felt that in back of the arts at the moment 
nobody was talking about immigration. People were tired. You know, we had several marches, um, some big ones, but then everything started decreasing. The momentum was really low. People felt... My neighborhood, actually, I, I kind of felt sad around this subject. So I thought that we that we needed to write something um, that people could cheer up with, right? So that's why we started like, vamos arriba, 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 kind of like cheering people up. Okay, that was Sony 09. And we weren't able to finish the album until, um, to release it until this year in January. And that's due to several obstacles, and some of them were not obstacles. It's like I was telling you before. Sometimes we're pulled into other things um, that we're not planning to go um, because we want to make music and we want to be, you know, working on it all the time, but we're also organizers. We're also activists. So our arms were pulled several ways. While we wanted to be in the studio and finish up, um, we also needed to go and organize in our community and, you know, help out people, creating resources for, for people, um, creating um, gatherings so that people knew each other and also that they knew that they weren't alone. Uh, it's a lot of work. So that's some of the stuff that pulled us away. Um, also, uh, our house where we practice and we had the equipment and everything, uh, it, it caught fire once. And so we, that was one of the biggest obstacles because that, that pushed us back. Um, a lot but in the end um, we kept on writing I guess some of us kept on writing sometimes in secret because we could we just uh, went to the rehearsal and we would say hey I have this let's work on it and we would put something together um, and surprisingly enough we were just writing about this stuff um, Chronic Immigrante Once Upon a Dream Nostalgia and then we also love this song uh, called um, Un Beso y Una Flor um, that talks about somebody that's saying bye to their loved to their loved one and but it speaks about you know like one day we'll meet again uh, we're gonna be together again it's gonna be better or I'm gonna bring you with me and it's gonna be better you know <laughs> so all of it, it it's just the the energy of the moment yeah and for Un Beso Yuna Flor that's uh, that, we, we didn't write that song but the message spoke really to us and mm -hmm. we made arrangements and, and we uh, created our own our own uh, rap section within within that song I, I think that uh, at the end of the day it's if I say that it was really hard it's an understatement it was like literally since 2009 until this year in the making and uh, we were so excited to finally have it out well, great. And where are you guys going to play for us today? Um, I think since we've been talking about this subject a lot, I think we should start with uh, Chronic Immigrante. Of course. And uh, I uh, hope that you enjoy it. All right. Before we start, we're going to get a little promo and let's listen to you guys. And remember, you guys listen to WOPNLP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpin Radio, broadcasting live from Studio B and Bridgeport. Hey, what's up, guys? And right now, you guys are gonna listen, gonna listen to uh, Kingdom Imperio with their song "Crónica Inmigrante." Vamos arriba, arriba, arriba. Vamos de frente, de frente, de frente. Vamos arriba, arriba no te rindas Vamos de frente, de frente no te dejes Levántense mi gente, caminemos de frente 
Levántense mi gente con la frente en alto Levántense mi gente, levantemos la cara Levántense mi gente, la vida no acaba Recuerdo aquella madrugada cuando se despidió al partir Mis hermanitos no entendían nada y una lágrima opacaba La sonrisa simulada de mamá de mi padre le descubrí tristeza Escondida tras una mirada fuerte que le evaporaba el llanto Mientras mi madre me daba su bendición Y tomó su maleta y partió Mis jefes se vinieron a este lado a chambear A trabajarle bien duro para que yo pudiera estudiar Soy un inmigrante más no ilegal. ilegal No soy un terrorista, a mí me gusta estudiar Me gusta trabajar, ayudar en la comunidad somos estudiantes, maestros, médicos, ingenieros Haciendo de albañiles, conserjes, meseros, jardineros No somos amenaza para esta nación Somos parte del pasado, presente y futuro de cualquier objeción Somos inmigrantes, luchadores de la vida Generador de riquezas de frontera en frontera Voy dejando mi sudor Somos inmigrantes, arriesgamos nuestras vidas Escalando nuestros sueños, pero No siga roto, por yo sigo, sigo en mi lonchera Llevo sus memorias y sus fotos This is our story Since I was very little, I wrote to spoke the language No different from my friends, except I don't have papers My parents always told me, tengo orgullo de tu gente I take on opportunities, que pasen por enfrente This is what I've been living, this is my mentality And yet I went to high school to face the reality That makes sense good grades, all I need a number And if I fail to show it, the money down the toilet Por eso sigo marchando, sigo votando, sigo apoyando Toda esa gente que están agarrando, están deportando nos contratan y nos explotan y nos asfixian como una serpiente. En mi mente llegó aquel día cuando me tuve que ir. Dejé a mis abuelos, primos y hermanos, a mi gente del barrio, con los que mil de experiencias yo viví. Aquel día cuando yo dije pronto volveré, se me detuvo el tiempo, todavía no lo he logrado. Pero sé que lo lograré Somos inmigrantes Luchadores de la vida Generador de riquezas De frontera en frontera Voy dejando mi sudor Somos inmigrantes Arriesgamos nuestras vidas Escalando nuestros sueños Pero aún se han quedado En la intención Esta canción va dedicada 
gente trabajadora, luchadora Hombres y mujeres fuertes Gente que vino buscando un futuro mejor Somos inmigrantes Come on Let's make this happen Vamos arriba, arriba, arriba Vamos de frente, de frente, de frente Vamos arriba, arriba, no te rindas Vamos de frente, de frente, no te dejes Levántense mi gente, caminemos de frente Levántense mi gente con la frente en alto Con la frente en alto Levántense mi gente, levantemos la cara Levántense mi gente, la vida no acaba Y Quinto Imperio Está en la lucha Wow, that was amazing. It was fire, man. You're fire. Thank you. It's already so hot in here. You guys turned on the. the <laughs> All right, so let's begin with the next question. Um, Kinti. Yes, yes. Since Brian. When, since Hi. when do you rap? <laughs> and, <laughs> and how do you decide to do it in, like, in a genre of music that is not usually. You don't usually hear this rap and cumbia music. Yes, so for the audience that don't know, uh, don't know, actually, I had the pleasure to work with Brian when he was a senior in high school, as well as Jennifer. And I think that I like to keep my identity as like a superhero where, you know, I'm working in the high school. I, you know, I just do post-secondary stuff, helping apply for, for colleges, scholarships. And on the side, I'm a musician and I'm a rapper, right? So not a lot of people even currently know that at the school that, that I do that. So it's, but it's, this is the dream come true that you guys are interviewing me as a musician and you find out my secret identity now. So I don't know what I can do about that. <laughs> Um, in regards to uh, the mix, yes. So we we are bicultural. We grew up with. Uh, I I was ten when I came to the U.S., so I had a lot of culture from Mexico. And then growing up here, I always uh, even in Mexico, I always liked hip hop and rap, but I never saw myself doing it, uh, especially because I was learning English. Uh, most of the rap stuff, I wouldn't even understand what they said. Which is, by the way, ninety percent of the people in Mexico don't understand what they say, but they still play the music. Um, so. So when I came here and, and I was learning music through, uh, I started my, my musical background is mariachi music. Uh, so therefore I know how to play the guitar. And when I joined Quinto Imperio, I got the invitation from Eddie and he said like, hey, I know that you like hip hop, you know a little bit of music, like maybe we could do this blend. And then basically that blend reflects who we are. We are we're bicultural. We just are, are a mix of a lot of things. And one of those things is cumbia and Latin alternative and then hip hop and then using using hip hop rap as a, as a way to, to express what you're feeling. So therefore that's how we have the little combination of those, those uh, many things. All right. Uh, about the music, uh, like, why, besides just rap, why cumbia fusion? Uh, most, uh, well, I think all of us are from, from Mexico City. Well, most of us. Hey. Um, and the the style that you dance a lot, you know, that is very popular over there. Yes. Wherever you go to party or either at a quinceañera or... In a toquín, you know, outside in the street, it's cumbia, uh, sonidero, right? So that's, that's, I was even part of a band over there before I came when I was uh, 13 years old. It, it was all kids, you know, in the band, and we would play cumbia. And, 
that's what I was sticking to. Um, when I came to, to the U.S., you know, after being here some time until I became 18, and my my brothers and, and my, you know, eagerness to continue to do music, um, the natural thing to go to, to was uh, cumbia, and that's where we, were, we started playing. Um, it's a little hard to get away from <laughs> because of the, the life, the liveliness of it. Also, you look into cumbia in Latin America. It's really interesting because it's a rhythm that adapts to to the region that it that, mm -hmm. that it goes. So I think that also reflects our identity that we had to come to the U.S. and adapt to a new culture, learn the language, and uh, do all these things. So if you go to Argentina, the cumbia villera sounds differently than the cumbia sonidera from Mexico, than the cumbia more... Um, more typical, more um, folkloric cumbia in Colombia, right? So that's uh, that's something amazing. Even in Texas, you know, it's a state, but even then, like Texas, they have their own Tex-Mex cumbia. Uh, so it's just amazing how this, this genre embraces. And I think that's what we like about it. You know, we just embrace that instead of, of being afraid, instead of not knowing what's next. So just we, we push it away. You know, we got to embrace. And I think that's something that could be applied even in the politics of today, right? You shouldn't be afraid of someone that you don't know. In the contrary, you just get to know them, learn new things. Because at the end of the day, you don't, learn, you don't win anything by just being isolated. All right, uh, thank you for that. And um, what song are you guys going to play for us next? Uh, well, since we were talking about the story of uh, Kinti, you know, getting into hip-hop, I, I guess we could do Once Upon a Dream. And um, so you can't, so you get a, so you also get to hear the story of, of Jessica. Okay. Come morning, the sun rose up in the sky In a neighbor country where who once again we shine In the birth of a child, the product of their love A neighbor in the family who everyone adored With two kids now, nuclear family of four But kids were little girls of their future not quite sure As their parents were struggling with a difficult economy Couldn't pay their education but had faith in their theology Everyone seeking an spiritual revival because every day Life became a strife for survival The prices of the food will rise very high And for power, politicians didn't hesitate to lie Throughout the years, the whole country gave up on its labor The sad thing is they did it to please It's not their neighbor signing treaties And living upon all those broken promises Families like these were left to drown in poverty But the parents of this girl will fight to plant the seed And provide a better future where the children will succeed They gotta write their own story, excellency in education that's why they decided to escape their situation they packed everything they could in a green backpack started walking on the trail and they never looked back left behind everything they accomplished so far and a feeling of nostalgia quickly took over their hearts no papers don't give don't give don't give up success is on the way The 
As time flies, 18 years to be exact They finally found a new place where they started from scratch Yes, they immigrated to the land of hope, America The younger grew up and her parents named her Jessica Jessica grew up enlightening by two cartoons Learned to write, learned to draw, she never lost composure A promising student, she always found a way She'll be the first one to go to college, her whole family would say However, there was something which made Jessica real sad She turned out to think about it cause it also made her mad upon her graduation she felt that the doors were closing trapping all her dreams and leaving her with nothing cause she didn't have those nine numbers that you do she lacked a state ID and a driver's license too neither her community service or the struggle every day will pay her education she could get financial aid just undocumented but that wouldn't stop her dreams to attend a four year college get a bachelor's degree she feel that applications every night she didn't sleep and it's like she was quite confident at the end she will succeed She did get into college Got good grades her freshman year She put out on her own pocket And got a job she babysits She struggles every day But it's a cause we're fighting for She's an undocumented student I like her this does us more No papers oh. No papers in your pocket, y'all Don't give, don't give, don't give up Success is on the way It's on the way now No papers oh. In your pocket, y'all. Don't give, don't give, don't give up. Be stronger day by day. And day by day, now, now, day by day, 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 and day by day, now, now, day by day, day, and day by day, now, day by day. We don't give up now, day by day, and day by day, now, day by day. We don't give up now, day by day. We gotta go now, day by day. Day by day, day by day. So you guys just heard "Once Upon a Dream," and those were beautiful lyrics. Thank oh. you, thank you. Yeah, thank I'm. I'm gonna uh, question just... who composes the songs and like if each one of you guys like put something in the song. Well, it 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 varies. Sometimes we uh, sometimes we write them ourselves. Sometimes like like individually and sometimes like we are sitting down and practice and rehearsal and then um eddie starts playing something and kinti starts rapping something or singing something and then i start i also start uh playing something on the bass you know sometimes the writing takes place at home or on your way to work you know we we have like lives right like we're we um we would like to only do music where a whole day is just about music but like since uh, we have like we have to live we have to eat <laughs> we have to provide so then uh, we do uh, we write in between our activities our daily activities and we also write as a as a group and that a specific song once upon a dream it was written by kinti right in the shower no i'm not sure i don't know <laughs> we're not sure of that we're not sure of that at least uh, and then like the song chronic immigrante was written Collectively, we all put something in there. Well, actually, a little background on Once Upon a Dream. I I took a composition class in college, which I thought it was amazing because I get to study about something that I really love. <laughs> and in that class, they gave us this project, right? Write something, compose something. It doesn't have to be a song. You could just compose something. At the time, Jessica, who I've known for so many years, she is leaving. She's transferring out from, uh, from her school to go to New York to study. So she was able to get a scholarship at Cornell. 
And then I was like, okay, she's going to leave. Let me write something about her and show it to her uh, before she leaves as, as a gift. Um, so I did, and I was able to show it to her. And the response was really uh, beautiful. As, as a writer, you just, you know, you're really self-conscious about what you share and what people are going to think about it. But she loved it. And I remember her saying, like, that's right. I do babysit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's a little background once upon a dream. Uh, is there anything else you was want to play for us? Of course, um, the so, whole album actually. No, <laughs> I actually, actually, when you guys shared a Gekalor song on Facebook, I went right away and downloaded it from Bandcamp. Oh, look, we got fans. <laughs> At least we got one fan. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, uh, the first time I well, when I realized Kitty had a band, I was like, "What?" Yeah, that was. It so doesn't crazy. seem like the type of uh, person to be in a band. No, right? he's so serious. He, oh, he has told me he has parties in his car. I'm like, Kitty. <laughs> yeah, and then I realized he has a band. I'm like, that's awesome because I've gone to um, local shows around a little village, and I really like going to those places. You know, I love music, and just like knowing that this person has helped me a lot, has a band, and he raps, and they do come here, come here. It's, it's awesome. He's a hero to us now. <laughs> and t- t- uh-huh. t- talking about that, I mean, I just want to share that uh, being in Quinto Imperio is. Uh, it's it's very stressful. Um, n- not everything is perfect, right? Uh, but uh, me, as the founder of the band, I think I've, I have been very fortunate and blessed to have found the people that are part of the band. Obviously, I mean, doing something with my brothers is, is a dream. If we make it grow uh, with the support of people, of course, it's going to be even better. Uh, but having been able to find, uh, who, who would have said, you know, that from Mexico City I was going to come uh, to Back of the Arts neighborhood and I was going to meet Quintiliano and I was going to meet Adriana and some other, uh, at a later time I was going to meet Jesus. And Quintimperi is formed by really awesome people. And I'm really proud of, to, to say that, that, that this is really more, more like just people who meet each other on the street. You know, this is family, uh, literally and beyond, right? So um, I guess I take this moment to, to thank uh, Kinti and Adriana uh, for all the years that they've been part um, of our family. And Jeeves, who, who, who he's an, a new uh, addition and really cool addition to, to Quinto Imperio. So we're so really happy and proud to be part of this. And then as far as the song that we're going to perform, I'd... We we uh, we were talking about cumbia and how it it, it adapts and it, to the to the local sound, uh, but this song is called cumbe, and we we realized that we talk about cumbia as a matter of fact when when it blends with something else, but we never talk about cumbia and how it began. So this song uh, cumbe is a word where cumbia comes from, and cumbe actually means fiesta party, mm-hmm. right? And it was um, it's a it's the result of a combination of uh, native sounds from Latin America, um, European instruments, and African beats. So we also wanted to recognize that yes. that um, idea behind it, where you definitely are a blend of many things, even though you don't recognize it anymore. So this song is Kaokumbe. Uh, and before that, because I need to set up my instrument, um, we have a few shows coming up. 
that you could find us on May 1st, actually, after uh, the rallies, that there's going to be a lot of uh, rallies and actions. Uh, we're going to be playing for uh, Movimiento de Colores. In a, it's called the Grand Fiesta de los Obreros on Monday. There's going to be a Citlalin gal- Gallery at 2005 uh, Blue Island. Uh, we also are going to be supporting uh, from the back of the year's neighborhood. There's a group of undocumented youth who wants to, who are uh, creating their own scholarship. So we're going to be supporting them. That's going to be on May 12th. It's called the Dreams uh, Dream Pursuers Scholarship uh, Scholarship Fundraiser. And funny thing, they got actually uh, the concept of Dream Pursuers from Eddie, who went to give him a talk. And um, yeah, so so definitely. And then on May 13, we're gonna go through Communities United, and they're gonna have uh, an event uh, at the UIC Forum. Uh, I have a question for you guys before you guys start. Are you all gonna participate in the May 1st uh, march? Yeah, we're gonna be there. Yes. So if if you join us, you're probably gonna be um, not just chanting, but singing some chants. Ooh. Yeah, that sounds fun. Now, <laughs> well, thank you guys for being here, and we're gonna listen to the last song. Saying thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure to. Thank you for having us here with you. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> Bajo el sol, bajo la luna, encadenado a tu suerte, recordando aquellos días que corrías libremente, removiendo aquellas sombras, siempre fiel, siempre fiel. Aquí sembraste tu semilla y tu herencia ya es mía, siempre fiel, siempre fiel. Me entregaste la enseñanza para los males curar Un poquito de esperanza y cumbe para la felicidad Me entregaste la enseñanza para los males curar Un poquito de esperanza y cumbe para la felicidad La vida es una ilusión Dormito soñando despierto en razón Las cosas que haces planeas y piensas Pero siempre tienen muchas consecuencias Los males que te avientan Y te caen en la cabeza Te mojan, te papan, te apedrean como granizo Calma, es indispensable Saber que tú, tú tienes un impermeable Y lo que te avientan te purifica En lugar de que te manche, manche Sacúdete el maleficio Anda vidale a tu oficio Y comparte lo que hoy Has aprendido Se despierta en la mañana Mira a tu alrededor Mira lo bueno que tienes Y deja ir el dolor Si te sientes encerrado En un cubo de desesperación No dejes que te empache Mire, pues para todo hay solución Vámonos a bailar La vida siempre hay que disfrutar Al mal tiempo buena cara Ya no te atormentes más Muévete con sabrosura Los problemas a la basura Mañana se te acaba yo Disfrútalo mientras te dura Vámonos a bailar La vida hay que disfrutar Bailando con Quinto Imperio Ay mamá, vamos a bailar Cumbe, cumbe Thank you. 
Goku Cumbia Didn't think so Thank you. Uh, what was the name of the song again? The song is Cumbe. You can find it on the uh, album Chronic Emigrante at QIMusica.com or on Facebook. All right. Thank you so much for being part of this awesome show. And, uh, well, you guys just heard Kim uh, Imperio uh, live here on WhatsApp at Studio B and Lumpen Radio. Today, uh, let's get a quick review or recap of what we talked about. And, um, so today we talked about immigration and we talked about the terms uh, that we use. We interviewed Maria Gonzalez, an activist. We also interviewed a teacher for Kenwood Academy and we spoke about the personal stories that we had here as undocumented youth in the States. Um, and always remember to stay tuned. My name is Marimar. My name is Brian. My name is Jennifer. And we'll see you guys in the next one. Hello, it's me. I haven't heard from you in a while. I hope it's because you're listening and enjoying our amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delightful, funny, breathtaking, amazing, astonishing, highly amazing production. If not, you should listen to our radio show, What's Up, again. In the meantime, we'll be working on the next one here in Lumpin' Radio. So stay tuned to our next amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delightful, funny, breathtaking, astonishing, highly amazing broadcast. I hope that you are informed about the awesome parts of life and that you will have a splendid day. Don't forget to listen to us on SoundCloud at Yolokali, on social media like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Tumblr at Yolokali, or visit at yolokaliartsreach.org for more. Wait.